good. Good morning. I, I want to say especially good morning to the front row crew. Just, no, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of you. I just, thank you. Thank you. And second row crew, you even get some love. I mean, there's not many of you either, so nicely done. And um, the back row, good morning. <laughs> Quick escape, I like it. I like that you're thinking that way. You never know. Um, my name is Mike. I want to welcome you to our church community. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we have an app at the App Store. If you uh, want to find out more about us, or you can uh, punch that open to uh, scriptures, or if you want to um, fill out a Connect card, there's a paper version near you, and on the app, you can do that as well. Um, what we want to do, we've been in a, a bit of a conversation talking about what exactly this thing is. Uh, if a church in the scriptures is more than just an hour a week uh, singing and teaching event, what exactly is it and why do we do it? And um, last week, we kind of made the case to understand the church not as a, a place or a program, but as a people who've been called out of human history, um, who live and order their lives under the governance of Jesus Christ who are filled with his spirit and whose job it is now to put him on display to a very skeptical world. And, and as, as we talked about this, I mean, that's a pretty hefty job description. Um, and certainly, uh, on our own, we're incapable of living up to it. But because God is among us and because we sing songs like, Spirit, you're welcome here, it's an acknowledgement that the Spirit's already at work and central to the putting on display of Jesus part of our job description, central to that is how we spend ourselves on behalf of the marginalized and the oppressed in our communities. And so we want to introduce you to something uh, just in a few minutes that is a, a nonprofit we're launching in the city of Fullerton that really takes advantage of some stuff that we've been doing. But before we get to that, I just want to remind us of why in the scriptures it's so central the community of God be this way. Go, if you would, to Deuteronomy Chapter 10 is where uh, we're going to go. We're stepping out of our very long-running Luke conversation uh, to have a conversation to try to redeem this word church. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be some around you that you can take home or we'll put everything up on the screen. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, 1130, you guys seem a little tired? Yeah, a little bit? I would expect, uh, just so you know, my expectation is that the services should get more awake the later it goes in the morning, right? So you have 8.30, I expect them to be just barely alive. 10 o'clock, they're, they're the kind of slackers because they all come to the service that's crowded. You guys are the ones that really deserve praise, but I'm thinking that you've had breakfast and you've caffeinated yourself sufficiently, so I just want to lay that out there with utterly no reason for it. Because this, no, hey, don't force it. Don't force it. I don't trust it if you force it. If it's, if it's a natural ebbing up of all sorts of energy, fantastic. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now notice, these are a series of commands given with regard to three particular people groups. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the, Lord your, or for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners. Why? 
Because you, Israel, you were foreigners in Egypt when you were enslaved there. And so the command is to watch out for the, for the widows, the fatherless, and the foreigners. This, this triad of marginalized people within the community of Israel was always center stage when it came to God's laws about justice and compassion. Flip over, chapter 14. You read about the, these three groups. And in a, in a very patriarchal culture... To be a widow meant you didn't have a man sort of covering you and protecting you. To be fatherless meant you didn't have kind of that that masculine covering over you. To be a foreigner in Israel uh, was a very mixed bag. And so God identifies himself as a God who cares for these kinds of folks. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 28. At the end of every three years... Bring all the tithes. So what you a tithe was you would have a crop and you take 10% of that and you bring it to the center of town. Bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, these were priestly folks who didn't have land of their own. So the Levites and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. In other words, every three years, take the the produce of the community, take 10% of all the produce of the community and set it aside for these kinds of people. Flip over, if you go to chapter 24, uh, I'm sure many of you are very familiar with uh, a law called the law of gleaning. In fact, my kids have done this as part of their education. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17 Again, this emphasis over and over and over. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Why? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. In other words, you know what it's like to be a foreigner. You were alienated. You were alone. You were separate. And some of you were fatherless. And some of you were a widow yourselves. You remember what it was like to be on the margins. Therefore... Among you, take care of the people among the margins. Why? Because it's a reminder that what you have is grace. Remember, Israel was walking into a land that they did not develop, they did not cultivate, they did not settle. God was fighting for them and removing the peoples that had been there. So the natural inclination is to think, when you get in the land and you're cultivating the fields and you're running the crops, that somehow you did it. Their generosity to the widow, to the fatherless, to the foreigner, was a reminder that, no, all of this was grace. Verse 19, when you are harvesting in your field, we all know what this is like, do not go back, excuse me, when you're harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, all right, so something misses the thresher, something falls off the back of the wagon, do not go back and get it. Leave it for who? The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. Now, how annoying is that? Seriously. The widow, the fatherless, and the foreigner did nothing to my field. I'm the one that worked it. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that cultivated it. And you're telling me I got one shot at it, and anything I drop, anything I miss, I got to leave? Or... Verse 20, twenty, when you beat the olives from your trees... We've all done that. Do not go over the branches a second time. How annoying is that? I cultivated the tree. I mean, if that's me, i got to be honest about my evil heart. I'm going to find the biggest stick and give it to the strongest person 
right, to hit that tree so hard so as many of the olives fall off as possible. Because you only get one shot at it. Why? Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Why? This is so annoying. Why? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Now what in the world does slavery have to do with keeping the edges of your fields unharvested? Well, here's the connection. God has redeemed them, not because they were awesome. Can we agree? They weren't even good slaves. I mean, there was nothing particularly redemptive about these people other than they were descendants of Abraham, to whom God had made a promise. So he takes them, he feeds them, he cares for them, he takes them into this land that was not their own to settle there. So when you're settled there, leave stuff on the edges to remind you that it's all grace. It's all grace. Everything you have is grace. It's all grace. The land you're working, it's grace. The ability to work is grace. All of it's grace. So your kindness to the marginalized reminded you that you were once marginalized and God showed you grace in that moment. Therefore, whatever you've received, you pass on. Go if you would to Isaiah chapter 1. What's interesting in the Bible is when the community didn't display this sort of compassion, God got very angry with them. In fact, if you ever look up uh, and study the topic of worship, God spends just as much time talking about the kind of worship he hates as the kind of worship he wants. And the kind of worship he hates, read, read the Minor Prophets, the kind of worship he hates is worship divorced from love of neighbor. When, it, when love of neighbor is not expressed in terms of caring for those neighbors who are the neediest and the most marginalized. And so this is one of many rants, if I can say this, that God kind of goes on. It, against the people of Israel, his own people. Notice verse 11, uh, chapter 1 of Isaiah. God says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have more than enough of burnt offerings and of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of goats and lambs and bulls. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Now, do you understand? Offerings were the things God commanded them to bring. God is the one that commanded all of this. And now he's looking at it saying, I'm totally sickened by it. He says, stop, verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, your convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon festivals, your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Because this has to be top ten of things you don't want to hear when you're God's people. Right? I hate what you're doing. I hate it. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. So what's God worked up about? He says, defend the oppressed. Seek justice. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Evidently, they weren't doing that. And so God looked at their worship and said, I don't care about your worship if it's divorced from this. This is all central to being the people of God is the concern 
for the marginalized, the outcast, the misfits, the poor around them. And so it's not surprising when you get to the New Testament, the book of Acts, the early church bleeds this. Go to Acts chapter 4. This is quite naturally what they would do. These were Jewish people who'd come to faith in Jesus. And so for them, one of the ways they were incredibly countercultural was the generosity they displayed towards the poor and the needy among them. So verse 32, all the believers of, did I say Acts 4? Acts 4, verse 32. How are we doing? Good morning. Almost good afternoon. Maybe, maybe you're tired because you're hungry. Maybe, maybe what's happening here is the blood sugar from the lattes has decreased and it needs refueled. Yeah? Okay. Then we, we shall move this service later after lunch because you'll be all awake then, right? <laughs> Acts chapter 4, verse 32. I'm just picking on you. I'm in a great mood today. Yeah, it's not even football season. And it's, it's still, there's still stuff to celebrate. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's amazing. With great power, the apostles, the leaders, continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's what? God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now, note the connection to grace. I, whenever I, whenever I hear, I get so many pitches to give money and so many pitches to give our churches money. I mean, I, I go to McDonald's sometimes. You're going to be shocked. But let me tell you what I get. Before you judge me, let me tell you what I get. I get two sausage McMuffins with egg with no muffin. That's right. Protein style, brothers and sisters. That's what I do. Okay, so I drive through, and what do they say? What do they say at McDonald's? Would you like to give a dollar to whatever? And I feel awful. But I say, no, I don't know what whatever is. CVS last night, okay? My wife. My daughter's baking pumpkin cookies. Wife says, I want ice cream. Husband says, what kind? I go to CVS. My total purchase is $11 because I got some for them and some for me. The problem, the problem. We'll talk about ice cream addiction as it's a real problem. And the gal at CVS, you want to donate $3 to whatever. And I, I am so tired of getting hit up for money. And, and literally, it's social media makes it worse. Every need of every person in every part of the planet all immediately begging for my attention. Right? So... It can't be guilt that motivates. If I see one more Sarah McLaughlin commercial with the puppies, I'm about, I just turn it off. Because there are so many legitimate needs. I am looking, I need, and I'm tired of just giving 10 here, 20 here, text this number, text this number. I got it. But it was the grace of God that motivated them. See, it can't be the guilt of God because there's no such thing. God, God finds us guilty, but he does not produce guilt in us. Conviction of the spirit, well, that's a different thing. Guilt, though, so this is not a conversation about guilt. What this is, is a reflection of grace. All our generosity is, is a means to remind us that we were once without. 
All our generosity is is a means to remind us that even though I'm the one that went to school, even though I'm the one that's working, even though I'm the one who thinks I'm in charge, it's all grace. The ability to work, the place I live, it's all grace. It's all grace. So when you get to the early church, this is what they were known for. Right? The first problem in the early church was there were Jewish-speaking, Jewish-speaking, Hebrew-speaking widows who were Jewish, who were getting uh, some food from the church, but there were some Greek-speaking widows who were getting less food. And so they got an argument about, why are you neglecting us? So they set apart, Acts chapter 6, they set apart seven leaders to take care of this. That's how big a deal it was. By AD 250, Eusebius tells us the church in Rome actually took care of 1,500 poor folks in the city of Rome. And by the, the 300s, 330-ish, we have an emperor. We have a letter. I'm going to show it to you next week. A letter from a Roman emperor who is yelling at the priests of the imperial cult for not being as generous as the Christians. His argument is the Christians are taking over because they not only take care of their own poor, they take care of ours too. And so he said... It's, it's staggering. This is what the early church was known for. This is just what it means to be part of the people of God. This isn't some other conversation. We want everyone to come to faith in Jesus of Nazareth, correct? Yes. So that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Part of how we do this is we put on display good news. We become good news kind of people. And central to the expression of good news kind of people is this sort of work. So James, who is like a sledgehammer more than he is a theologian, he was Jesus' brother. Obviously, he was a manual laborer because he, he's not polished. You read John, John's flowery and images and high Greek. James is like, boom. So you go to James in verse 27 of chapter 1. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep from being polluted by the world. Where does he get that? That's been part of the people of God the whole time. So this morning, you don't need another thing to give to, another thing to do. Our church has an unbelievably remarkable history of compassion. If you're new to our church, you're sitting next to some of the most generous people in Orange County. I kid you not. So our general church budget is like $8 million, which is ridiculous. And on top of that, $4 million goes through the various ministries to people overseas, to relief efforts, to something called the Compassion Fund. We take an offering every month tied to communion that goes directly to benevolence. It's, it's utterly remarkable. We've got a thing at our church called the Good Samaritan Center, which is, we just, it's pass-throughs for food and clothing and bedding and amazing stuff. Our church has been amazing. What we feel like is that we need to focus a bit of those efforts. One of the things I tell my wife when she says, hey, here's this thing on Facebook we need to give to this. I'm like, I have compassion fatigue. I can only care about so much. And I, I, does that make me a jerk? I hope not. And I hope God keeps increasing my heart for more and more things. But I need a big yes that allows me to say no to all the little things. For us, OC United is going to be our big yes to our city. Many of you are already involved in stuff. Keep doing the stuff you're doing. But we, d- we decided and we prayed about, felt led to start a nonprofit in our city because what we were learning is churches don't play well together. Shocker. 
totally shocked. Nonprofits often don't play well together. Nonprofits and churches don't play well together, and businesses and churches and nonprofits don't play well together. We had the chief of police say, hey, would you guys start something that isn't EV free Fullerton, but infected by it, for the name of Jesus, to tackle some of the most pressing issues of our day. And, and we actually came to believe that being a nonprofit opens up some doors that being a church or being known primarily as a church community would not open. So for instance, we used to do a thing called Grace Works. Remember this, for those of you that have been here for a while? Grace Works was once a day, once a day, once a year, we would mobilize the church. 11, 1,200 people would show up and we would do service projects throughout our city. It was magnificent. But as we tried to get other churches to partner with us, they kept saying, no, 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 that's your thing. We'll do our own thing. Last week, we did something called Love Fullerton, which was Grace Works, now under the banner of OC United. 30 churches, 3,000 people, dozens of businesses, okay, participated. No, 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 no. Some people were bummed that our name wasn't on it. Well, how are they going to know it's from EV Free? I don't care if they know it's from EV Free. I'm really interested in knowing it's from Jesus, right? That's the only name. No, 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 I mean, really. I mean, that's, that's true. So here's a letter we get from somebody who filled out a form. Our leader, John Blank, was incredible. So you have people that lead all of these different projects. I'm not a church person, but John talked to me about why he helps out on projects through Love Fullerton. And now I will visit his church at EV Free in Fullerton. And I love this. If people like John are real, I want to be a part of whatever he has. Now that, see, the difference, the difference is, and, and grace works, hallelujah, but it was us serving them. The Fullerton is more us with them serving our city. Do you see the difference? We're, there's a withness we want to keep embodying. And so OC United, we prayed about who are the widows who are the orphans? Who are the foreigners? And guys, there are so many different groups, but there were three that God has been blessing through our church that we want to continue to feed and intensify. The homeless population in Fullerton, the foster adopt, uh, the kids in foster care, adopting them out of foster care, and some under-resourced neighborhoods. Now, I want to tell you specifics about this, but I will do a poorer job than the three people I'm bringing out here to give you just a taste of what God's doing. Come on out. This is Jay. You know Jay. Jay has been a thorn in our collective side, begging us to go in these directions. This is Donna. That's Amy. And we want you to turn your eyes to the screen real quick, because we want to tell you a story about some of the things that God's doing that you are allowing to happen. And uh, we'll go on from there. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Heather. And my husband, Rich, and I decided to go the foster adoption route when we figured out that we could not have kids biologically. We had to let go of a lot of dreams that we initially had, but then we also knew that going through this process was going to bring somebody so much joy and so much comfort and so much love that it was the best option for us. We first met Faith and Madison at the facility group home that they were living at. Maddie was gung-ho from the beginning and wanted to sit on my lap and was very excited and wanted to share everything. Faith was very much reserved and quiet, and she kind of sat back and listened to everything. We probably spent an hour with them, 
um, with their social worker and our social worker. The next night we got a phone call from them because they just wanted to talk to us again. And that was, that was awesome. Hi, my name is Faith. My name is Maddie. When I came to my home, it was strange because I didn't know anything and I was so used to the facility and it was kind of like weird but fun at the same time. Like it felt like one giant sleepover. Having the girls come in, it's been the easiest process and I am shocked at how easy it has been. It's felt so normal and so natural. But there have been times where I struggle with knowing if I'm doing the right thing. They didn't go to school when, before they came to us. And so watching them struggle in school has been a, a struggle as well. I'm actually one of the top reading level. I'm getting the Millionaire's Club Award, which means that I have read one million words. And, and I'm really proud of myself for doing that. I feel a lot safer here than I did back then. Yeah. Um, I feel more loved. No blankets on windows. Yeah. Also, the belts. <laughs> constantly moving. I like, kind of like felt like we were like being watched. Not like actually like sleeping on the ground. We had had them probably for a couple of weeks. We were simply out at a farmer's market and Madison, the young one, just came to us and came to me and said, I don't want to call you Heather anymore. I think I want to call you mom. Is that okay? It was like, absolutely, if that's what you feel comfortable doing, then please feel free to call me mom. God has given me, my sister, a second chance. Having a better future and better people who, who actually love us and friends who care about us and an actual school, and to go to an actual school. Um, I'm most thankful for waking up next to my sister. I'm thankful to be with her throughout all this time. I am thankful to wake up to food and mom because she actually wakes me up and I don't have an alarm clock and if I sleep in late, I miss school. Knowing that there are people out there that can provide the same kind of home for these kids is really, really important. And just knowing that if you can open your heart just a little bit, that God will come in and provide all the room that you need to make a home for the kids. It's so awesome to see him working. We have prayed for these girls since the moment we started this process, and our friends have prayed for them, and our family has prayed for them, and we know that they were ours, and there's no question. Good afternoon, was that an amazing story or what? Well, my name is Jay Williams. As has already been mentioned, I've been a pastor here for the last 15 years. And for me, OC United and seeing this card and being here is absolutely a dream come true. This is not a soccer team, by the way, but this is, this is our dream to reach um, our community that is the most vulnerable and most and the hurting parts of our city. And so what, a, what an amazing opportunity for us to be able to come and share with you um, what God's doing and to invite you to come along with us. So our mission statement is on the back of this car, and I just want you to, to take a look at it, because our mission is to unite the church, to unleash compassion, and empower the vulnerable. Uniting the church is not an easy thing to do. 
Um, as Mike already said, he's still in all my still in all my words. But the church we don't play together very well. <laughs> no, this is my words. Um, we don't play together very well. But I, I don't know how many of you got to participate last week um, at the Love Fullerton event. But we had. We had 3,000 people, and really for a day, it was the church gathered together, united around mission. And even if it was for a day, it was a, it was a beautiful expression of the church. But we're uniting the church so that we can unleash compassion on the places that are most vulnerable and most in need in our city. And so we've, we've decided to rally around three initiatives that are clearly articulated on our board, on our handout here, the homeless, foster care, and na- our neighbors. And those are our three initiatives. That's where our focus is. And we would love to invite you to engage with us in those places. Um, First of all, I don't know if you realize how big an issue homelessness is in our city. But a couple years ago, there was a young man that was tragically killed in our city. And I think that really awakened our city to the the immensity of the need right here in our own backyard. 62% of the phone calls that come to the police department in our city are related or connected in one way or another to homelessness. It's a huge problem. And it's a city problem. And it's a complicated problem. But it is also our problem. And it's our desire to invite people of faith, Jesus followers, to go and connect with some of these people who are hurting and who are on the margins and who are looking for help. And we're in that process, we're partnering with other neighboring organizations in our community that are helping to make a huge difference. There is great momentum and movement taking place in our church as well as in the city, and we would love to invite you to be a part of that, um, to be a part of the life change in someone's life. Um, I want to tell you about a friend of mine. He, um, this is Matt up on the screen. He's, he's a friend of mine for 20-plus years. And uh, Matt has been helping us downtown in our office for the last six months. He's a construction, he's a drywall animal. And uh, he's been helping us, and and he's done this fantastic job. But Matt lived in that blue van sitting next to the motorhome. And it was not a pretty place. And um, we helped him save his money, and he actually bought that RV. So now Matt is enjoying the good life. He can stand up in his home. He can move around. It's amazing. Um... But I would be dishonest with you if I told you that Matt's problems were over, because they're not. He has some serious medical issues that he's dealing with. And if you and I were in his shoes, we would not have put up or tolerate how he's been treated by our system medically. And so we are coming alongside to advocate for him, to help him to get what he needs so that he can get out of pain, so that he can get back to work. And um, so he now has hope, and he now has friends. Two things that radically transform someone. So the second initiative is our neighbors. Thirteen years ago, the principal of Valencia or of Maple Elementary School attends our church and she challenged our church staff. She said, Would you guys consider adopting our school? I'm hearing stories of, across the country that churches are actually adopting public schools. Would you guys consider that? And of course we said yes, and so we've now been engaging in this neighborhood for 13 years. The result has been 13 huge Thanksgiving festivals, uh, a couple hundred mentors, um, soccer, basketball, Love Fullerton, Graceworks, uh, a Bible club, and on and on and on with the different activities. At one point, the superintendent of the Fullerton School District asked us, 
would you guys take some of your action and, and compassion and move it to the other side of town, to go west in our city where there is less resources available to help? And so we said yes. We met with the principal of the school at that time, and she said, I've heard what you guys are doing at Maple with Thanksgiving. How about you guys come to our place for, thanks, for Easter? How about you threw a big Easter party at our school for all our kids? Said, that after all is your holiday, right? <laughs> and so we said yes, and so we've now done two um, amazing Easter parties there where we've fully shared the gospel, and, um, and we've just had tremendous opportunities open up for us. And so as a part of OC United, we've hired Donna to help us to come in and to engage this targeted neighborhood in a more strategic and deeper way. Hi, my name is Donna Whitman, and I am a neighbor. <laughs> and I want to be a better neighbor. Uh, I'm a missionary, an inner city missionary that's supported from this church, working with crew. And part of my time with crew is I get to work serving our church um, to serve the neighborhoods. And really what my heart really beats hard for is to see the second commandment that Jesus said, to love your neighbor as yourself, to see that lived out through our church. And uh, I don't want to lie, you know, God's already been in these neighborhoods for, for generations. His heart is for every generation. But our desire is to see where are those people God has already planted in those neighborhoods and where are some of us who might want to relocate into those neighborhoods or even some of us who are working there as teachers or business people and see if we can unite all of us together to see the neighborhoods thrive, uh, to see them thrive economically, socially, spiritually. And so the areas that we're focusing on really primarily um, to start out is Maple, around Maple School and Valencia Park Elementary. Um, and so that, that has been something that is exciting because many of you already are involved there as teachers. Um, there's a whole group of men here that have been praying for three or four years for direction on what God would have us do in that area. And this is the time to act. So um, one of the things that, that really motivates me is this Chinese proverb that Dr. John Perkins, who's the the founder of the Christian Community Development Association uses to train people to be community developers. And it reads like this. Go to the people, live among them, learn from them, love them, and start with what they know, then build on what they have. But of the best leaders, when the task is done, the people will remark, we have done it ourselves. And so that's my heart, is to see that become reality. And I would love for you to go to your neighbors along with me, learn from them, live with them, and then see how we can cause our neighborhoods to thrive. So out in the, in the plaza, we have lots of great opportunities, anywhere from tutoring in um, some schools, um, helping with our summer school program called Soulful. And uh, as well as there's, there's actually a family here that owns apartment complex, and they've started a Bible club in North Anaheim. So there's lots of great things that you can get involved in, and I'd love to talk to you more. And here's Amy to tell us about that last initiative. Well, good morning. My name is Amy, and um, 
We got introduced to the world of foster care 13 years ago when we decided to volunteer with Royal Family Kids Camp, where we meet amazing children like Faith and Maddie that you saw in the video. And I think they're here in the service today. So would you guys give their parents a round of applause, Heather and Rich? There they are. And the the girls, they have been a part of our family um, for three, four years. This will be our fourth year. So it's such a privilege to have them here, and it was so generous of them to be able to share their story. But my history here at church actually goes a little bit further back. I'm a third-generation EV freer. Um, My grandparents helped bring the church here, and then my parents, George and Donna Warren, um, have been career missionaries. So I grew up on the mission field very aware of our church's commitment to seeing the gospel spread internationally. And I think it's so great to be here today with that same heart in mind, to see the gospel spread. And in this case, it's to our own local community. And when we entered the world of royal family, our hearts were just broken for for the needs within foster care. But at the same time, we were overwhelmingly, um, it was overwhelmingly apparent God's heart for these kids. And that's what we want to invite you to join in with. Right now, there are 400,000 children in foster care in the U.S. And in the state of California alone, there are 13,000 that are waiting to be adopted. So this is an incredible need. And as we got involved with these kids, we realized this is not the government's problem. The government at its best can't can't give these children what they need. What they need is family. They need healing relationship. They need the church, and they need Jesus. And so that's what we want to to bring. So if your heart is touched at all by foster and adoption, we would love to have you come out on the plaza. But I know that actually adopting will, will only pertain to a small percentage. But for the rest of you, there are so many ways that our church can come alongside and support these children that come from difficult places. So come and see us on the plaza, and we'd love to, to give you more opportunities to serve in this way. Cool. Thank you, Amy. So at the bottom of the card there, here's our mantra for the day. It says, become aware, take action. Become aware, take action. So you are all now aware. You know exactly what we're doing. And we just want to invite you to take action. And for us today, the action is in three ways. First of all, it's pray, serve, and give. So we are serious. We want to raise up a team of folks who would commit to pray with us. And so we would invite you to come out on the plaza. We have a sheet that's filled with current prayer lists. And we also have a, a, a regular e-news that will be going out. We'd love to have you sign up to receive that communication so you can pray with us. Um, this is a spiritual battle. And we need you um, on our team um, praying to the Father. So serve. So for some of you, it's time to roll up your sleeves and lace up your boots and get to work. And uh, we would love to uh, invite you to be a part of Our ministry is one of these three initiatives, and there's multiple ways for you to involve. So come take a look, take some of the flyers, pray over it, and ask, where can I fit in, and then plug in and join us. And I I do want to say it's not not an occasional thing. It it takes commitment. It it takes ongoing. we got to keep showing up, because that's how God uses us. And then lastly, we want to invite you to give. So we have a desire that over the next few months, we want to raise $200,000 to help build our team. 
because we have some big dreams. And we want to jump into the emancipated youth housing area. We haven't really talked about that this morning. But we would love to engage there. There's huge need. And we also want to have a, in the Valencia Park neighborhood a, a learning center there. And finally, downtown, we also want to have a, a, a faith-based, multi-church collaborative food distribution center in our city to meet those needs. And so we would love to have you be a part of that, help us to build our team and to go after these dreams hard together because they are God's dreams. And in the process, as we engage in these things, we get to be the benefits of that because God shapes and grows and enlarges and tenderizes our hearts as we connect with his heart. Thank you. Yep, so we've got, uh, we've got a few things happening. And, and a lot of this is already going on. We just want to harness, harness it in, um, in specific directions. So uh, we'll invite you to stand. We're not about uh, guilt, so no Sarah McLaughlin's coming. Um, we, uh, many of you are already involved and already give, and hallelujah. Uh, but if you're looking for a yes, if you're looking for a yes, this is our church's yes locally. So I want to pray for them. And, um, and then we're going to sing uh, a couple of songs that kind of reflect God's heart for this, because that really is the goal, is that people would come to know Jesus uh, and come to worship him and serve him and realize they're loved uh, by him. And so um, we want to pray for that. That is a spiritual issue. So join me. Father, we want to look more and more like you. We really do. Jesus, we want to act like you and speak like you and think like you and feel like you. We want to be um, representatives of you. We want to pass on what we've received. We were slaves in Egypt. We were ones that were alienated and outcast. And you've brought us in. And so, Father, we seek to be those kind of people, people of blessing, people of kindness, people of compassion. And so, Holy Spirit, would you please shape us to look more and more like our Lord. Shape us to be more and more like Jesus. And, Father, would you give favor uh, to this initiative? Lord, that you would give us favor in the eyes of schools, in the eyes of cities, in the eyes of officials, and that you would extend your kingdom and that many would come to know you in a deeply significant way. And for us, God, as we each wrestle with what it means to be steward of the resources you've set before us, we pray not for guilt, we pray for grace, that we would be reminded again that everything we have is a gift. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, hear this cry. Amen. Thank you.